This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, what's that sound I hear? The constant swishing of the net on a brisk fall night? The Lakers <laughs> somehow leading the league in three-point shooting? My, oh, my, what a melodious sound. A carmelodious sound, even. Oh, my goodness. Purple and gold mellow, baby. Number nine all-time in NBA scoring, Carmelo Anthony! Stay mellow. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, it took all about... Damn, dude. Sorry. Can I just say you were you were for sure top 75 podcast intros all time, oh, Jonathan Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And we're talking about top 75 Carmelo Anthony, ninth all time in NBA scoring. Tommy, it took all of about three games for Carmelo Anthony to somehow lead this team in scoring for one night, and that's definitely even sooner than I had anticipated, and I was pretty high on this guy getting, having a pretty decent and sizable role. I mentioned to you, at least 22 to 25 minutes. Obviously, there's some caveats here with certain guys being out, uh, Kendrick Nunn, uh, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, THT, etc., but... Even with those guys out, Frank Vogel before the season began said Mello would have a big role on this team, and big Mello has been. So just, uh, we're going to get more deeply into Mello in this episode, obviously, but um, just how, what were your feelings watching that Liddy game where Carmelo Anthony not only got to ninth all-time in NBA scoring, but did it in the most uh, brash and mellow way possible with 28 points, uh, team high of the night six of eight from three and was one of the main reasons why we won that game our first game of the season yeah I mean look man I I can't overall I can't be more impressed with Carmelo Anthony so far I I was one of the biggest skeptics of the signing I know preseason you know you were yeah yeah. you were one of the biggest advocates and and look I didn't doubt that he was going to play I thought he was going to be in the rotation but you were one of the big advocates of Carmelo is going to I think he has a legit shot and maybe arguably should be in our closing rotation and you know you mentioned more like he I don't know if you mentioned to me on this podcast or offline but you know you mentioned he's going to just have like 30 point nights randomly throughout the season and we're going to win games because of that and We've seen like kind of both of it so far. You know, we've seen his value as a closer uh, with our big three, just as a guy who's not afraid to step up and like take shots. Here's a big one that's like going to get like maybe ignored. We are again, you know, for the how however many manyth year in a row, twenty eighth in free throw percentage so far this season. Having a guy like Carmelo Anthony out there at the yes. end of games who can hit free throws is super super clutch. Um, so overall, I mean, I've just been super impressed. I, I can't remember what your initial question was because I've, you know, I just got distracted thinking about how good he's been for us, but no, that's I, I've been overall it. really impressed. 
Yeah, yeah, I've been really overall impressed with his uh, with his play so far. I guess more specifically then, with regards to his performance uh, against the Grizzlies, how shocking was that to you? Or was it not shocking at all? <laughs> it wasn't shocking because obviously this like Carmelo Anthony and and this is this dude isn't like a meme, you know what I mean? Like Hoodie Mello or like he he had a forty percent shooting season playing significant minutes for the Trailblazers last year, right? Mm. But it's like you always kind of caveat all this in your head, and maybe this is just being scarred by being a Laker fan and you know, witnessing the offense of the uh, last, you know, yes. several, however many seasons um, that wasn't run by Rajon Rondo. So, like, you just sort of assume that that guy's going to come here and it's not going to pan out the same way. Yeah. But he has been, and look, I know we're number one in the league right now as a team, three-point shooting percentage. So, like, like these three percentages, <laughs> yeah, it's three games. These percentages, like, are not going to stay up at this level. And then, you know, once they drop, you start to wonder, like, okay, uh you know, it, does it still look as good with the with the lower numbers? You know, lower percentages. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But for right now, it's been um, it's been really good to see, and and you can kind of see how he's going to fit on our team. And when that when he wants to play defense and wants to try a little bit, he's not bad at like being a body in the paint. He's got you know, good hands. When, he's got good hands. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think so crucial because during the start of this season, where we're trying to patchwork quilt together a team that's lost so much continuity, whether it be with new players or with the new injuries that have befallen us in the preseason. Carmelo Anthony's sort of been that glue guy to grease the wheels for us offensively when we're just trying to find our identity. So it's such a weight off our shoulders to just have a dude who not only spaces the floor, but gives us this different attack game in transition. I mean, we're fourth in the league currently in pace, and a lot of that is because Mello's shooting the shit out of that ball really quickly anytime he gets it. And sometimes you'd say that's a bad shot, but with the way we want to play pace-wise, not really, you know? If he misses the shot, he misses the shot when we get back on defense. So um, Mello's done a lot, and we'll get into more of that um, as we move along in this episode. But I'm sure you've seen these pictures, and, and there's no doubt that by the time this podcast comes out and people listen to it and they've watched the San Antonio game or the OKC game, Mello will probably have done something to totally bury everything like great we've been saying about him on this podcast. But regardless, um, I'm sure you've seen these um, images of the Lakers' best lineups this season. Again, it's three games. But um, with regards to the best three-man lineups that the Lakers have this oh, season. Man. Very curious. Uh, Carmelo shows up in four out of the top five. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and Austin Reeves also, also shows up in four of the top five. Uh, the top best three-man lineup is Carmelo Anthony, Anthony Davis, and Austin Reeves in 12 minutes with a 70.4 net rating. Um, so, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And in, in any lineup that you see Melo's going to be in there, he, I think, in almost after every game, he's been top two, if not the best plus-minus guy on the team. Um and so, yeah, everything he's done, like even net rating wise, he is second on the team with a 12.8 net rating. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, Austin That's Reeves crazy. is first with a 56.8 net rating. Let's go, baby! <laughs> uh, but yes, through three games, Carmelo Anthony is second on the team with a 12.8 net rating. Um, you caveat everything with it being three games, it being early, et cetera, et cetera. But before we move... Um, deeper into why Melo's working with the Lakers currently, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, so I have a little Melo rant to get off my chest. And it may 
also kind of explain why you were so why you were semi down on him to begin with uh, to start the season. But I think at this stage, I think especially with what Melo's gone through, you know, having been out of the league and nobody picking him up and the Blazers being the only team to take a chance on him. I feel like that stigma of Melo, even with what we've seen with the Blazers the last two years, has remained so heavily on him that I think it's clouding the perception of him for a lot of Lakers fans, at least to start this season. Yeah. Where... I, I know I know what you're okay, saying. So, okay, so what I'm getting at is people are overreacting to every single Carmelo Anthony ISO shot that they see on this team. And I'm yeah. like, why? <laughs> like, first of all, it's already shown that the numbers show that Carmelo Anthony is taking more catch and shoot threes and jumpers than he has even in Portland. But even if he wasn't doing that, and let's say he's given two or three post-ups a game, or he's doing his weird jab step, swaggy P dribbles into a pull-up jump shot in the mid-range against a defender, people are losing their minds whenever they see Melo do this as if he's doing it for 35 minutes a game and he's doing it nine nine times a game and he's actually missing more than he's making. And for me, this the one, the statistics don't even bear that out. And then two, it's like, at most, this dude is playing 27 minutes. He has accepted a bench role. He's not even a starter anymore. So why are we painting this picture that Mello is still the same Mello and that anytime he isos and it's an ugly shot, that he's somehow destroying the Lakers' beautiful offensive offense and scheme? And I'm like, what offensive scheme do we have, first of all, that people are losing their minds over Mello taking a contested jump shot? Because, again, one, he's not doing it as much. And two, even if he was doing it as much, this, sadly, is the type of team where you need a guy who has the balls to take those shots. And that, that shot against the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter, where LeBron James dumped it down into Mello in the post, you know the shot I'm talking about, he took a turnaround fadeaway jump shot and missed it. Some people were freaking out over that. And I'm like, why? Yeah, this is nice. a shot that Melo has made time and time again. Him being 36 years old does not impede him from being able to make that shot that's in his bag even to this day. It's what made him ninth all-time in the NBA. So even with all those caveats of him taking more three-point shots, more catch-and-shoot threes, that's great that he's accepted that role. But even if it was skewed more to, oh yeah, Melo's still doing his mellow thing, I just don't see why people are freaking out over that. Like he's starter mellow, taking up 38 minutes and doing that six to eight times in a game and missing more than he's taking. And for me, it's just like, nah, man, let mellow be mellow a little, especially given Frank Vogel's system. And given the fact that it's clear that he's changed his game up enough that it's not going to hurt us. And I want Melo to be a little bit frisky with his iso ball stuff. Because in, uh, in the same token, do people get mad when Lou Williams or Jordan Clarkson are isoing? No, because that's who they are. So why are people getting mad that Melo's doing it, given the fact that he's also 6'9 and taller than those guys? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, your added thoughts on that. So I think... It's so funny because Mello, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, but, you know, Mello is kind of viewed as like a meme player at this point. You know what I mean? And it's kind of sad because this dude is still legit. I think what it is, is when a lot of guys from, you know, 
I guess his class or his age range, you know, started kind of peaking, you know, around the time they're 31, 32 years old or whatever, it almost felt like Mello was starting a decline. Like if you look at his career stats, that was around the time where he was at the end of his run with the Knicks. You know, it seemed like pretty clear that team wasn't going anywhere. You know what I mean? And his stats started to dip. And then he went to OKC for a year and everyone was like, maybe this will resurrect him. He's playing with Russell Westbrook now and Paul George. And like, let's see how that turns out. His stats went further down. Um, His shooting numbers started going down. And, you know, what I think happened to a lot of fans and certainly myself during that time, right, is like, Mello has always kind of been in the minds of Laker fans, I think, because we've tried to sign him like multiple times in the past and haven't been successful or, you know, he's always been linked to us, you know, with Kobe and maybe as part of a team post Kobe. And and um, because of that, it's like you kind of are always thinking about what this guy's doing and like looking at these mm-hmm. numbers and thinking like, my God, that would be horrific. Like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, a, like an aging out of shape star on the you know, on his way out or Whatever, and then maybe you're right. Maybe it did. It does like kind of cloud everything he has done for the last three years. I mean, if you just look or two years, I should say, if you just look at his stats on Portland the last two years, objectively, like remove the name for a bench player. You know, yes. I guess one of the years he started, but the second year he was off the bench and his stats like didn't really change. If anything, he got better at shooting. So like, you know what I mean? And 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 across the board shooting numbers. So it's just like he has put together some amazing lines. His efficiency has gone like, you know, through like just crazy through the roof. He's shooting more threes, you know, or at least as many threes as he had, has at like the peak of his career in terms of volume, you know, and with a lower shot, actually, if you look at his number of threes attempted versus his, uh, you know, as a percentage of his overall field goal attempts and look at that now compared to, you know, when he was with the Knicks, for example, it's it's so much higher now. It's like he's taking as many threes as he's ever ta- uh, taken in his career, but he is attempting half the shots that, you know, he's mm-hmm. attempted in some of his stops. So it's, it's it's you know, making up a, a huge portion of his game. Um, he continues because of his, you know, size and length and strength to be like a decent rebounder when he's engaged. Certainly, like, surprisingly decent on... The offensive glass, it seems like he's always just kind of there, like, mucking it up. I guess, like, I could go on and on about how great he's been for us, but I think, you know, it's so true that I think a lot of Laker fans have kind of put him in this almost like Dwight Howard category of, like, yeah, like, we know who this guy is. You're not going to trick us. He's a joke, blah, blah, blah. And you just need to see it and... People are eventually going to change their tune, but I think it's going to take Mello. Look, he's not going to shoot 51% and 67% from three all year, but it's going to take him putting up, you know, kind of elite bench player type numbers for us this year. Uh, And if he does that or comes close, right? Like if he puts up numbers, and when I say elite, I'm not talking about like, you know, whatever, but I'm talking about like numbers he put up like the last few years. I think a lot of people will start to come around. Yeah, and I I agree with everything you said. And and I'm kind of also focusing my point just on even the times that Mello is ISO Mello on this team. Like, do you have a problem with that? Because for me, I don't. And it's almost like I'm. you mentioned the Dwight comparison, and I think that's right on point because people are acting like anytime Carmelo takes a contested mid-range jump shot in a Lakers uniform, that it's the same as when Dwight Howard wanted to post up. 
It is not the same because not, Carmelo Anthony, those shots are in Carmelo Anthony's bag. Those shots were never in Dwight Howard's bag. So I don't know why people are overreacting to every little single ISO mellow shot. So, Well, I think in this age of analytics, right, people who understand analytics at like a very poor level I, are going to put like an overemphasis on things like, well, Daryl Morey says three and key, and if you shoot a mid-range jumper, it's like the worst shot you can take. That's like true for most players because most players aren't like efficient enough to, or like good enough at shooting to like, you know, be reliable in those situations. If I'm not saying again, and, and I don't think either of us are suggesting that in Melo's case, it's not as a general matter better for him to take a three. No, it is better to take it a is, two. Yeah. Obviously, it's better. You know what I mean? But uh, on the other hand, it's like there's so much basketball that happens. Like I'm, I was actually looking at the numbers just a second ago. But like, okay, so Melo's taken about eleven and a half shots a game so far. Eleven point seven. Let's call it twelve shots a game. Literally 6.0, 50% of those shots he's taking every game are three-pointers. Not every shot he takes is going to be a three-pointer. I think that's like a pretty good <laughs> ratio. <laughs> you know what I mean? If half his shots he's attempting are three-pointers. So like he's going to get looks in other ways. Like, And sometimes they're going to be mid-range because for you know whatever reason, offense stalls or whatever, it's just going to happen. And yeah, you're right. People can't just overreact to that kind of stuff. It's, it's so funny because it's almost like people all of a sudden want to one-dimensionalize Carmelo and force him to become Cal Kuzma and just shoot threes. And it's like, why would we put him in a box when this guy can get into the post and harm people, you know? Yeah. And if LeBron yeah. James has the confidence to dump it down into Melo in the clutch, granted, he missed the shot. I don't care. He's going to make some of those too. You know what I'm saying? Like... Right. Let's give LeBron some credit and Melo, you know, ninth score in NBA history, some credit for knowing that he can make that shot. If he's doing that against like two defenders, yeah, that's stupid. But for the most part, I mean, Melo is a tough shot maker in the mid range. So um, that I kind of just want to get that off uh, my chest uh, because, again, on a team, especially given the context of our team, us trying to find offense with Russell Westbrook trying to find his own offense. Like I even got into a semi debate with somebody on Twitter who was saying that a open Russell Westbrook mid range jump shot is better than a Carmelo Anthony post up. And I was like, no, it is not. <laughs> like when, when Russell Westbrook pulls up in transition for that mid range J that he takes early in the shot clock. Yeah, I guess it's open, but that's not a good shot. You know, as opposed to mellow jab stepping a few times, turning around and fading away. Like, Yes, does that seem inefficient? But in the grand scheme of the context of this team, hell, I'll take that over a guy who, and I don't want to throw shots at Kyle Kuzma, who's not going to hit it, you know, from the outside or dribble the ball off his, right. dribble the ball off his legs, et cetera, et cetera. So, right, right. With that said, we'll take it to break, and when we return, we'll just talk about why we think Melo's working outside of the obvious. He's hitting all of his shots, and what we've liked so far with him in the lineups, and how he's able been able to compensate for his objectively terrible defense which is someone somewhat mitigated by his good hands as we've uh, stated earlier and also his size so we'll take it to break and we'll close our episode out that way all right so we are back so tommy what what's been working in your eyes with regards to carmelo anthony i know um alex regla has been putting a lot of very insightful useful stuff on twitter and i think he recently wrote an article about what carmelo anthony has been contributing even from an intangible perspective when he's not getting the ball or shooting because, you know, he's setting these ghost screens and popping out every which way and forcing the defense to account for him 
And it's been lethal, especially because Russell Westbrook, like I mentioned, has struggled to sort of find his footing offensively and find, frankly, the creases in the lanes with which he can, you know, drive and attack without getting an offensive foul call um, and not being forced to shoot that mid-range jump shot. But one, as as Alex Regla has pointed out, Carmelo Anthony is shooting it the quickest he's ever shot it with regards to catch-and-shoot threes and just pull-up threes in general. He's letting that ball fly quickly, no hesitation. And again, that's a reason why we're fourth in the league in pace. Granted, you know, it's three games. By the time you listen to this, we'll probably have played one or two more games. But our pace is being helped by Carmelo Anthony shooting that ball without hesitation. Um, I also feel like he's even tried looking for his teammates and started playmaking a little bit more, too. I know a lot of people are you know, talking about how he's still hijacking the offense or whatever. But I've, he's had a couple nice drives and passes to different teammates. And he's also had a couple nice cuts to the basket where Westbrook has found him. He's been able to lay it up. He's had like a couple nice put-back hustle plays where he got the offensive rebound, gets fouled, goes to the free throw line. Stuff like that where his size, his natural size is just, you know, is just a positive. Where technically, if he was 6'3", he'd be Malik Monk, right? He's just a good shooting offensive player who can't play defense. But guess what? Carmelo Anthony is 6'9". He's strong. He has good hands, and that's why you see how well he's been able to exist, not not only exist in lineups, but help lineups thrive because, one, he's shooting a bunch of threes, but also he's been able to make up for his slow-footedness with his hands being able to strip guys of the ball when they drive it into the lane, maybe even able to get some blocks, but also help with the rebounding as well. And as you've mentioned before, he's just a strong, sturdy guy who can hold his ground um, and maybe body some guys off rebounds as well. So, yeah, w- what have you seen that you've liked that's really working here? I mean, you, I think you kind of summarized all of it. <laughs> no, no, you got it all. I mean, it, he – and again, I put myself in category of people who before kind of seeing how this was all going to work on the floor and honestly even see, saying stuff in, in preseason and after the first game or two of the season about how I thought Mello looked defensively, like – if he just gives anything remotely close to the effort he gave in the Memphis game, like in two thirds of the games this year, we should be totally fine. I mean, that's, that's like really all we need. He's not because of his size. Like you said, he offers something. Um, and you know, he has hands and I'm just going to throw this out there. This Carmelo Anthony, like having an amazing season at 37 years old, on probably the most competitive team he's been on since it's some wild. of those early like Nuggets fan and like early Nuggets teams he was on when he was like 22, like this dude. That's going to be such a, a cool storyline for this team, mm-hmm. and you can sort of see. I mean, who knows, right? Maybe we're going to look back and laugh at this, but you can sort of see like playoff <laughs> time comes and. This dude just like senses it, and it's like this is time to like win my first championship after being in the league for. 18 years or however long he's been in the league and you know at 37 years old when people said like this was a joke team and you know he's a meme player all that just it's it's just such a a cool storyline to follow this year it is because he's gonna have if this keeps up obviously but he's not just gonna be one of these mitch richmond type players where they come onto the lakers and they barely get time you know Uh, maybe something happens along the way that makes it that way but as far as it's gone so far like this guy 
is part of the big four. If you're going by the advanced analytics and the the best five-man, three-man lineups, Carmelo Anthony is a part of them. And, and again, this is going to change when Trevor Rees is here, uh, when the screws get tightened in the playoffs and de- defense is needed. But with how we want to play, Carmelo Anthony fits that to a T, and I mentioned it before. Because his shooting is so lethal and so dynamic, he's not just a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, right? You've seen him a couple of times bobble passes, and he'll still take like a one-two dribble to the side and fade away and hit those threes, you know? Because he's such a lethal shooter, he is our most fungible plug-and-play offensive player where in any lineup, if we need some sort of offense to grease the wheels or some sort of spacing put Melo in there. You know what I'm saying? And and he's worked so well with the AD at the five lineups that, I mean, if we do start AD at the five at, in some games, Melo's probably going to be in there, especially while Ariza's out. You know, we've already closed with that lineup with the four Hall of Famers plus Austin Reeves. So it, it to your point, it is kind of crazy just to think about it because I was, I was in the same sort of mindset as you as well before Alan put it into my head that this dude's going to have a big role that... Mello would be this tertiary bench role sort of guy, but to the extent that he is, he's looking like a six man of the year candidate, right? Can you imagine if he wins that? Yeah, well, I'll be careful. Don't tell uh, Miami Heat fans that. Uh, they, don't give them that opinion because they got Hero. They're all like jumping on. That's right? that's true. <laughs> and he's off to an absurd start as well. Well, hey, um, just being a candidate for that award at his age is kind of crazy. So, and the yeah, perception, the perception changing of him around the the league and media. Because let me tell you, Tommy, there are guys on the Open Floor podcast, Michael Pena, who was talking about how the Golden State Warriors got such a freaking steal in Nemanja Bjelica for the veteran minimum. Yeah, yeah, Meanwhile, yeah, yeah. Carmelo Anthony. He's just not very good, and I don't know. He's going to be unplayable in the playoffs, and I'm like, it's just like Are it's you amusing. Kidding right? me? No, it's it's so amusing because I know we haven't we've had mixed results, and this applies to the team in general, and and you know more specifically, I guess Mello in in this case, right? But we've had such mixed results early in the season, and I and I count preseason in that, and so it's it's just open season for like Laker haters to jump in and be like, here we go, here's the one time of the year I get to say this, so I'm going to say it now, you know what I mean? And and <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's just so like it's so it's so easy, but it's also like. It, Early season NBA results are so absurd. The Milwaukee Bucks like beat the Nets on opening night, like beat the crap out of them, and then got blown out by forty to Miami, and then Miami lost to like Cleveland. You know, it's just like all random and or you know Detroit or some some team like that, right? And and it, it's just like I don't know. It, it's crazy to react, and but people are like also you know happy to have their hipster picks, and yeah. when it comes to stuff like free agency, and then look for any evidence that they were right. So whatever, it yep. doesn't bother me that much. Agree with you. All right, to close this episode, we got we've got about five minutes. Let's talk about the team in general quickly. DeAndre Jordan, what do we do with this guy? What have your thoughts been on DeAndre? And are you hoping that we eventually just? phase him out and focalize it to just Dwight Howard if we go with a traditional big man because one way that we can sustain our three-point shooting even with Carmelo's hot percentage and LeBron's hot percentage regressing is if we boot one of these traditional big men out and replace him with uh, one of our better shooting people or when Trevor Ariza comes in, he's going to soak up some of those minutes. So yeah, DeAndre has been not good. He does stuff just because he is seven, <laughs> seven feet. Um, but otherwise, sometimes you need that though. Sometimes you need that. But I mean, on defense, he's getting cooked and the spacing's jacked up and 
Westbrook just plays better when Melo's on the floor and AD's at the five. And uh... I just I just feel like if we're not going to play AD at the five, which or start AD at the five or play him significant minutes, however you want to quantify it, which actually, look, I'm not going to argue that right right now because I think a big part of that is getting Ariza back um, and just some of our other depth generally, THT also. Uh, but if we are going to play DeAndre, the biggest problem I have right now with him is how many minutes he's getting. Yes. I know it's crazy because he's. <laughs> it's like you look at it and it's like, what do you mean? He's getting 14 minutes. I'm like, yeah, he should be getting like five or, you know, like yes. one one stretch in the first quarter to start the game, maybe a, a very short stretch in the second quarter, but like you need to rotate this guy out a lot. Dude, faster. Tommy, in the third quarter last game, Frank Vogel waited to the five minute mark to take him out. Yeah. Why? Why can't it be the seven minute mark? Give him five minutes at the top of the first, five minutes at the top of the third. It's just, why does he go so long with it? It's just- I, I don't know. It's really frustrating, but it's like DeAndre had a good stretch, I think, in his first. In his first, like he played a seven-minute stretch to your point in the first quarter of the last game against Memphis. I would say for the first like four minutes of that, <laughs> he was like decently effective. Yeah, so quit so, while you're ahead. Quit while quit while you're ahead. We used to say this about Rondo all the time. Like Frank has to have a better temperature on when Rondo is like burned his effectiveness and pull him out of the game, right? And I feel like that's that's kind of like the same with DeAndre this year. Well, and it's so much easier to see with DeAndre too, just because I mean he looks he looks washed up. Maybe conditioning gets better or whatever, but I mean, yeah. Anyways, let's move on to Austin Reeves because Austin Reeves is a freaking basketball player. HBK. He's in four of the top five three-man lineups of the Lakers. He has no fear. He's popping these threes like he's still at Oklahoma. Not a care in the world that it's Hall of Famer LeBron James or Hall of Famer Carmelo Anthony, Hall of Famer Russell Westbrook slinging him these passes. And he, I mean, outside of just being able to knock down an open shot, which is, you know, the baseline level of what you ask for from any player, but God, he's like a rookie. His defense yeah. has been solid. His positioning on the floor. He's, like, setting screens for LeBron and just, like, popping out the right way. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how good Austin Reeves is, or I guess just even how solid he is, because Caruso, jokes notwithstanding, he's a potentially a better player than Caruso. Not as athletic or explosive, but as an all-around guy who can do stuff. I mean, you've seen some of his dribble drive plays where he's passing it to Carmelo on the baseline and he's able to create stuff off his own dribble in a pinch and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it's... If anything, you know, Reeves kind of gives you a little bit of confidence that this team could look a lot better once we get some of our depth filled in. Because if a 23-year-old rookie who gives any sort of effort on defense can have this kind of overall team impact, it kind of gives you a good feeling about where we might be headed, you know, in, in terms of defense. But I've been super impressed with Reeves. I was texting you like crazy after the first game being like, you know, it's, it's not a, just like a, you know, it's not funny cause it's, he's Hillbilly Kobe or whatever. It's just like, he's legitimately good. I know it was preseason, but he showed that he can keep, stay in front of guys. He showed a, at summer league, he showed it a preseason. I've seen nothing yet to suggest that, you know, he could be, less effective than some of these other guys. And he got a shot and he showed why he could be so good. It's like, he doesn't put up a ton of counting stats, but he stays in front of his man. He doesn't turn it over. Um, he makes smart plays. He, he rotates well. I mean, I mean, he rotates like super well. Like I, I, he's earned the spot and it's nice to see him succeed. Yeah. So I hope we can make him one of our 
players that we hold on to for the semi-long-term future as we bridge the gap between LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, Lastly, quickly to end this episode, Westbrook had his best game the last game against the Grizzlies. By the time you listen to this, we'll see how he does against the Spurs. Um, But his playmaking was on full display against the Grizzlies, and he looked really good putting pressure on the rim, driving it into the paint. Like that one pass he made where he looked off Carmelo Anthony and dumped it down to Anthony Davis for a dunk was super impressive. He had another lob to Anthony Davis, so he already has more than Dennis Schroeder did all of last year. Uh, So he has two to Anthony Davis, two lobs to Anthony Davis. (laughs) That's Um, crazy. I mean, I... Texted it to you. The pull-up mid-range jump shots in transition and early shot clock situations are so freaking annoying. I, <laughs> but that that notwithstanding, um, at least his vision and playmaking is there. He still had like nine turnovers, I think. So that's gonna be a work in progress. But I think him finding positive ways to contribute, and right now it seems like it's gonna be through assists, which is why I feel a little bit more confident about my you know, preseason prediction that Russell Westbrook would find his way yeah. to double-digit assists because, yeah, his offense is struggling, and if his jump shot doesn't come around, he may have to rely on just being a playmaker and, and LeBron James being the off-ball guy, especially if LeBron continues to shoot the shit out of the ball from three-point land as well. This is how it's going to work potentially where, you know, maybe Westbrook does only average 18 to 20 points a game but has double-digit assists. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you're totally right about your, on your prediction, right? I actually went the opposite way, but I think through the first three games, we've sort of seen, uh, I think your, your, your prediction is it's probably getting me closer to that. Right. So I thought Westbrook was going to be a lot more aggressive. Everyone's playing him to pass his entire career. He's got other guys who can handle the ball for one of the few times. And I mean, he's had good teammates, but not anyone like LeBron. Right. So you know, I thought maybe all of that would contribute to him focusing more on scoring and actually putting up higher scoring numbers than people were expecting. Um, but I think Westbrook's on this team because LeBron can actually shoot pretty well. Um, again, not saying his numbers are going to hold up, but the last few years he's been at least league average for, and he takes pretty difficult shots, so that's not bad. Um, you know, if if Westbrook can. Uh, take the lead in initiating the offense, I think that will keep him more engaged because LeBron can do so mm-hmm. much off the ball. It'll give Westbrook like a chance to put his imprint on the game without necessarily scoring. And then you see that he has those like random, like he had a random nine point scoring burst, like yeah. a nine no run against the Grizzlies by himself, like in a, a span of a few, a few, like a minute or something. So that's where he's the most dangerous as a player overall. Um, and so I hope that we continue to push that. And I think a big step, frankly, toward getting in that direction, which is Frank's realization or decision or whatever to take Rajon Rondo out of the rotation and take away those minutes where Rondo was playing with Westbrook and those yeah. lineups that made sense to nobody. So, you know, it's, I think they're trying, they're starting to see that a little bit too, that Wes, Westbrook is probably at his best when he has the ball in his hand. So why not, why not just let him do that, you know, and he's going to get a lot of rack up a lot of assists doing that. Yeah. And another positive thing was Westbrook kind of getting swaggy with his finishes. He had some spectacular finishes in that Grizzlies game, uh, especially the one where he burst to the basket and then finished it with his left in a kind of scoop de do sort of way. So it's nice to see Westbrook, uh, where in the first two games or so he was living, leaving chippies on the rim. You know what I'm saying? Like missing layups he typically makes. So it's nice to see him get the the Russell Westbrook-like ones where he's going like 150 miles an hour and he's able to 
get amongst the trees and still be able to finish. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's just naturally going to get better as we move along and as we, you know, add the transition finishing game to our pace. Because right now the pace I feel like is coming from Carmelo Anthony's three-point shooting, quick three-point shooting. So the more we're able to get our defense in order, four stops, and get out into transition where Westbrook can take advantage of a defense on its heels, I think that'll be, it'll look so much more better for Westbrook. And then once he's hit like four layups in a row, and then he can take that pull-up mid-range jump shot in transition as a heat check, but not as a first resort. Please, Westbrook, yeah. I beg of you. All right, with that said, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you next time, hopefully after a, a slew of new Lakers wins after they play against the Spurs, the Oklahoma City Thunder. We got some couple games against Houston, et cetera. It, it should hopefully be a uh, fortuitous uh, run for us here over the next uh, week or so where we face some bottom barrel teams. And hopefully we take advantage because Anthony Davis, by the way, shout out to that guy. He's still playing tremendous defense. So that's nice to see. Uh, with that said, I will catch you next time, Tommy. Later. Peace. Peace.